when I started hosting and I had those big events to host and, um, and even if it went well or good, the next two days, I was kind of in the worst low you could imagine. It was like a hangover. Um, I felt depressed. I felt worried. I was constantly in a bad state after such a big hosting. And then with experience and the longer you're in this job, you start to realize that, okay, it's fine what you're doing. People are not getting up. They're not leaving the room. They are actually applauding. Sometimes they're even laughing. So it can't be that horrible. And this is what makes it better, but it's still tough. And what I learned as a host, that is, I think the most important thing. Hello and welcome to the Ronnie Lever Show, where every week we bring you fascinating guests with inspiring stories of success and overcoming obstacles from the world of sports, business, and entertainment. To support this channel, please subscribe, turn on the notification bell, and hit the like button so that we can deliver you the best content possible. After university studies of law, she took a totally different path. Having been to acting school, she decided to go all in on her creativity. She started her career on TV in 2005, which has brought her all over Austria and Germany. She was dancing with the stars of Dancing Stars. In 2017, she started, aside of her entertainment career, her own fashion label. She has a passion for cooking and she's following her dreams. I'm happy to have her on the show. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome, here's Silvia Schneider. Woo! <laughs> From the wine cellar. <laughs> Yeah, beautiful. Do you have any special connection to wine? Uh, no, not at all. Uh, we're just uh, we're just shooting for my cooking show, and so I'm in in the kitchen of one of my chefs, and we have the best light here where the bottles are in the backdrop. So um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, enjoy the wine. Ah, oh, beautiful, beautiful. Wow. And and now uh, introducing you um, with all that you have already accomplished it. Um, pretty young age still. What comes to mind to you when you listen to that? Um, it's quite extraordinary because you never hear your own life story in English first here in Austria. And it's just nice to hear it because, well, I've done a lot. <laughs> yeah, that is absolutely true. And I know that already as a kid, you had a passion for, let's say for the entertainment industry like for acting and so on. Uh, what was the dream when you wanted to, that you wanted to become when you grew up as a kid? Uh, I think my passion for everything connected with entertainment or a stage started at a very early age when I started watching TV or I was allowed to watch TV. My, my parents, they let me watch old Hollywood movies and I was always amazed by the great costumes, by the great set design and I remember as a kid, I was sitting in front of the TV and just talking to the TV and saying, oh, I want to have this dress and this dress and this dress. So I think that's where the passion started. I didn't know that acting or actors existed back then, but I wanted to be in this environment, I guess. That's where it all started. Beautiful. And, and also, uh, but at the same time, then you studied law, which is... I would say quite far off of entertainment um, and still you ended up in entertainment. How, how did that come along? Well, it's a funny story because um, there's just, there's an official and an unofficial story. So 
the official story is that I wanted to have something, you know, profound uh, on which I could rely if the acting doesn't work out. And the unofficial story is that I was, I was at a drama school in Hamburg in Germany. And then I fell in love with uh, a guy who lived in Stuttgart back then. And I was searching for an excuse for my parents why I would move from Hamburg to Stuttgart now and do something completely different. And as both of my parents have studied universities, my mom at universities, my mom is a dentist and my dad was a professor at university for um, technical mathematics. Uh, so I thought it's a great idea to tell them, oh, I'm going to study uh, in Germany, in close to Stuttgart in Tübingen uh, at a very famous university. I would study law because I knew that this could be a convincing you know, argument why I would move and why they would let me move. And of course, they saw right through me, but yeah, I was just going to ask if they bought it. <laughs> no, no, they they didn't. But like they, I think they were challenging me and saying, "Okay, if you want to do this, then go ahead," because maybe they didn't believe in me. So I moved to Stuttgart. I started studying at uh, the Eberhard Karls University. Um, well, I'm not together with this boyfriend anymore, but I finished my law studies, so something good came out of this. Wow. And when, when you look back right now, because I also I, I also finished two studies and then basically I ended up in entertainment. Um, what are you taking? Like, is there something that you could take from your law studies and afterwards apply to your to your career? Uh, 100% because I think that hosting and producing, it's the perfect combination of an acting uh, of acting and law because you need to be very precise in this job you need to be very reliable you have to learn texts by heart you have to have this accuracy but you also need this creativity and the ability to perform on the stage what i learned at drama school and i think hosting puts it all together and is a perfect match wow and and i guess it also makes you see things in a different way or actually expands your your way of thinking and which is also always great when you are on a stage and having or on TV and having interactions with other people talking about being on TV, because I think that's a dream for many people that when they grow up, like, oh, I want to be on TV someday. And, and you actually realized that dream when you were still at university back in 2005, it was your first TV engagement. How did that come along while you were still studying in Germany, making an appearance on TV in Austria? Uh, that's very interesting because um, it all started with a, um, a channel, a private channel in Upper Austria in my hometown. And I, back then I was still in, in Germany or switching between Germany and Switzerland. And my best friend, she called me and she said, uh, they're looking for hosts for this private station for a new TV show about university life. And I think you would be great for this and I think you should apply to it. So I went back to my hometown and I did a, a casting uh, for this channel and for this show. And luckily I got the job. So I moved back to my hometown and I started working for TV while I was still studying. I changed the university from Germany to Austria. But yeah, I was studying through the day or at night. And at the same time I was working and hosting. So it was kind of stressful. I had a very good friend back then. She, she was able to go to all the lectures 
and then we would meet in the afternoon around three or four and then we would study together and we finished around seven in the evening and then I went for some hosting or to shoot something a segment segment for TV and now when I look at all the the books and the the folders I had to study I can't imagine how I did it how it was even possible to do everything at the same time but it's somehow yeah it was possible because I wanted it Wow, you know I'm amazed, and, and also kudos to you because it sounds that you, it sounds like you put in a lot of work, and that you, and, and I, as far as I know, you also you're a very hard worker. Where does that come from? Uh, I think it's something my my parents learned me at a very early age that you need to organize yourself very well, because as a kid I was I was taking piano lessons and I was taking dancing classes and stage theater plays and everything. So I always had a very full schedule uh, where I had to organize myself. And like at our home, it was never liked when you were just doing nothing or hanging out on the sofa. It was always, don't you have anything to do or isn't there any work? And if you wouldn't have work, my mom would find work for me. So <laughs> <laughs> I was constantly put into this environment of being active, doing something. Um, so I think I still owe this to my family that I'm still able to, to organize myself very well and that I'm not shy when it comes to work. I do everything. I don't take pride into not doing something. I always like to be kept busy. And do you enjoy what you do? I love it. I love it. I'm super happy and I know how lucky I am that I'm able to work in my dream job, be the producer of my own show, uh, work in many segments that come with my job. And it's, it's beautiful. It's very hard and challenging too. And a lot of people might not think of it, how challenging it actually is, but I am super happy. Wow. Beautiful. And, and you were mentioning something that, um, while we also already said before that many people would love to be on TV or in a, in a public spotlight, like they imagine all the great stuff that comes with it. And there is also one side that at least we need to mention it. And also I would like to have your view on that, which is that as soon as you're in the public's eye, you also, well, you're also an object of public opinion, meaning that there are going to people that have an opinion about you or that there are people that are also going to, give their opinions openly, for example, on social media uh, and, and with trolls or haters and all those kind of things. How do you deal with that? And does it happen to you as well? Oh, it does happen to me. And it's very, it's very hard, uh, I must say, because do you still hear me? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it's very hard because um, when it comes to social media, it's, it's, possible to put out your opinion without having to deal with the reaction at the same time. So you could say whatever you want and no one will get back to you. And this is sometimes very, very hard because um, I, I have a lot of social media channels for my different shows or for my persona. And most of the time, I am also working on those channels and I have to, to deal with the comments without actually mentioning that it's me. 
and that's very hurtful and very very painful and most of the time if you click on the profiles of people who are writing hate speech to you you might see where this is coming from and from time to time i start to engage with those people and write to them in a personal letter or in a personal email or response and i see that most of them they just want to be heard or seen um, because they're dealing with their own issues or problems and as soon as they see that there's an actual person responding a person whose feelings are hurt, um, they switch their behavior. And of course, I can't do this with all of the people who write bad stuff, but I try to do it from time to time. I also try to switch it off and give it to someone else who works with this. Um, but it's a horrible problem of our time, and especially for younger people who are not as secure as I am or as put together in any kind of way, that it depresses them, it causes big troubles, it can even lead to suicide, which is very frightening. So I hope that law or the government or some higher power puts a kind of better behavior in this social media environment because I really, I really do think that it should be treated with a law that forbids hate speech at all. Wow. And, and I would, I mean, I would absolutely encourage that and, and to be, because just for it to be a place of positivity, positivity, because that's how we all grow together. And, and as you were mentioning right now that, that it's very painful or hurtful. And, and do you like, do you learn how to deal with that? Or is it like, do, does it just then get, you get used to it or, or is it, do you never get used to that? And it's... Well, I think the best solution is to, to not deal with it at all, which is most of the times impossible. What I realized, it's very interesting that this hate speech or trolling exists much more on Facebook than it exists on Instagram. I don't know if this is a kind of a social gap or an age gap, which is just happening and turning out right now. But the vibe and the, the communication on Instagram is much friendlier and with much more behaviorism than it is on Facebook. So that will be interesting for us. Um, which advice can I give? Not to read it, not to take it to personal, try to imagine which person has time and puts the effort out to write something bad about someone else. Um, and I read a very good quote from uh, a very uh, great woman who said, I never got criticized by anyone who was more successful, more beautiful, or smarter than me. <laughs> that, that is a very good quote. And if you think about it, people who are more successful than you, they would never criticize you or your work. They would always give you good advice or no advice at all. So 
I like to stick to that. I love that. I love it because it's, I, I believe it's totally that we are all in this together and it's really about growing together. And if, if somebody else has success, awesome, really beautiful. Um, kudos. I, I applaud them. It's really great. And, and, and I also know that they work for it and they deserve it. And so I think it's really beautiful what you're sharing. Also, another thing that you shared with me in a previous conversation, which was also very deep and profound, and I would like to bring it up here again, is that you said that people think that just because you're on TV, you're always happy, but it's, that's not the reality, is it? No, it's not. Uh, you know the saying, the sun always shines on TV, and we all know that, but no one knows which much how much effort is put into this. And I just realized it, for example, when I try to hire someone as an assistant or as a coworker or just to be in the company, uh, most of the times they think that it's only red carpets and glamour and beautiful dresses and makeup and hair and jewelry, uh, which is not, it's not even 2% of our work. And no one sees how vulnerable we are when we put ourselves out on a stage of course we do it because we have some kind of i don't know um exhibitionism to us that we like to stand on a stage and we like when people look at us but you also have to have in mind to have this inner feeling that you want it you have to have a very difficult personality or something is missing in us or some kind of respect we're missing and we're trying to get it by going on the stage. So we are, we are very vulnerable persons in reality. And this is what a lot of people don't see. And they don't see how hard it is, how hard our days are, how many hours of work we have, uh, what it takes to actually stand on a stage. And what if you mess up on that stage? You are the one person who is responsible for it. No one else is. And um, everyone knows the, the feeling of standing in front of a crowd and saying something or then standing in front of a stage. That's very, very hard for a lot of people to do. And it was hard for me to do too. I had to learn it too. So you wouldn't see that. And um, they also don't see how, how much preparation or due diligence in uh, reading about the topics you're referring about or talking about is needed. I think it's very beautiful what you're saying because uh, it's true. Like when you're working with basically that talking is your job and, and still you're human and, and it happens that sometimes you make a mistake and, and it has happened to me quite sometimes that you're on a stage or you're on TV and you're saying, some, saying something in that moment or right after that, you know, oh, I shouldn't have said that or, oh my God, I, I made a mistake. And sometimes you don't even realize it. But still, when it's out, it's out and you cannot take it back. So it's it's the most horrible thing because there might think there might be things or jokes about which you don't think at all. They're, they just come natural to you or you would never think that you could offend anyone. And then as more experience you get, you start to realize, OK, uh, not all of the people in the crowd have the same humor as I have or not everyone is, is at the same point in his life at the moment. So you have to be very, very careful. 
I've had people start crying on stage because I asked them a question and I didn't even know that it is something that is so deep in them and touches something so emotional in them. So that's hard. <laughs> it's really hard. Well, I can imagine that, especially when you go deep. Um, but you know what? I learned something beautiful that at the end of the day, it's not exactly about the words that you're using or what you specifically said. It's more about how you made the people feel like mm. the feeling that your audience leaves with, or even if your audience is just one person and you are, um, you're dealing with whatever job you have, it's always about what feeling are you leaving behind when you and the other person part ways. Yeah. And one of the things that you said before was that basically being on stage and so it's just 2% of your work. So for, for everybody that has no idea what the, the work of a TV host, event host, what that looks like, like what is the rest? What is the, what are the other 98%? Mm. Yeah. People will, people just forget it. And it's also that I, I really try to become better as time goes by and I, I very much watch my stuff. Sometimes I try to avoid what I've done on stage and not watch it because you can never get on a camera what is actually happening in the crowd. This feeling is once in a lifetime and at that moment and you can't record it. So sometimes the camera doesn't tell the truth. But it's still good to watch what you've been doing, even if it just tells you, okay, maybe I shouldn't stand like this, stand like this. Don't talk so much with your hands. Don't touch the person uh, you're talking to too much. It's all those little details, which no one would actually realize, but it, all of them together, they give a special feeling to the audience. And that's what differs a, a good host from a bad host. Beautiful. And I think it's great that you want to watch, uh, that they want to grow and that you're watching yourself. You know, it's funny. I, I read once that Kiefer Sutherland, uh, a famous Hollywood actor, that he actually never watches himself afterwards. Like he never, he's, he has not seen a single episode of his, uh, the, the things that he did because he, he cannot stand to watch himself. He's always oh, yeah. like super critical. Oh, I know that. And, um, yeah, I, every, I think everyone out there knows how horrible it is to hear your own voice on a recording. So us hosts, we constantly hear our voices and we constantly see our faces. And But do you still think it's horrible for you? Because like, yes. really? Yes, yes, yes. It, it, it gets better. And sometimes I watch myself and I'm like, okay, this was okay. It wasn't so embarrassing and I don't feel so ashamed of myself right now, but sometimes you can't help it. And maybe this feeling is only for you. No one else would see it, of course. Uh, but I, I always say that I hate myself <laughs> when I watch myself. So seriously, no, I'm, you know, I'm finding this hard to believe. Uh, and I, I do believe you. Uh, uh, and still, I, I think it's, it's, you're such a perfect example of, of so, so many of us who are just, um, who are great at, let's say, beating ourselves up instead of actually putting ourselves like up, upwards, mm. because you are one of the best event hosts that I know of. Like really, um, as a, as a woman, you're, you're funny, you're charming, you're, you're out there. Like 
you know how, what it takes to take an audience from A to B. And it's really, it's always when I, when I see you at an event hosting it, I always know it's going to be great. <laughs> it's not, it's really good to hear because when I started hosting and I had those big events to host and, um, and even if it went well or good, the next two days, I was kind of in the worst low you could imagine. It was like a hangover or a hangover. Um, I felt depressed. I felt worried. I was constantly in a bad state after such a big hosting. And then with experience and the longer you're in this job, you start to realize that, okay, it's fine what you're doing. People are not getting up. They're not leaving the room. They are actually applauding. Sometimes they're even laughing. So it can't be that horrible. And this is what makes it better, but it's still tough. And what I learned as a host, that is, I think the most important thing. Well, there are two most important things. First for me is, um, be as natural on stage as possible. Do something or create something when you go on stage that makes you feel like at home. Don't always start hosting with the hosting sentence that is written on the card. Start with something completely different just to put the audience off balance and then later on go into your regular hosting. This is super important. And the second thing is listen, listen to the people with whom you're talking or who you're interviewing. It's so important because this is something that the audience always detects. If the host isn't listening, if they're just sticking to the questions written down on their cards, it makes it super unnatural. What I'm thinking right now that I'm listening to you is do you, when you watch yourself, when you analyze yourself, and, and I mean, all of us at some point, no matter what kind of, what field of work you're in, you always are going to evaluate, like, where are you at and how are you doing and, and what would you like to do? Do you compare yourself with others a lot? Do you, do you find like, okay, like this person got this, I'm just here. Um, like, why am I here? How am I getting there and so on? Or do you really, for example, like when I, when I, one of the things that I do is boxing. Yeah? And, and of course I, I watched the, the great, like the great ring announcers from the U S and so on. And then, and you compare and you know that this person maybe has also a completely different voice than you have. You cannot like you, you need to work with what you have. Like you can only be the best version of you and not to be a copy of somebody else. How do you deal with that? Mm, that's a very good point. Um, I somehow I have this in me that I never compared my success to others because I think that's the most poisonous thing you can do when you look at others and are, are down talking yourself. Oh, why am, am I not there? Why, why am I not doing this? Why am I not getting this job? This is the worst thing you could do. You should appreciate that someone else is doing a great job in this field and then go back and work on yourself, stick to yourself. And when it comes to comparison, it's, I'm watching a lot of female hosts, of course, how they work, what they do. And I'm inspired by them 
And sometimes I'm like, hmm, I would like to be as funny as her. But that's not working because you have to find your own fun or your own humor or your own um, strength and work on this and get unique in that. Um, it's not possible to copy anyone else. You can just pay respect to what they're doing and maybe get one or two hints from them uh, and, and be inspired by it, but then find your own interpretation of it. Oh, beautiful. And, and just as a side note, you, you are funny. Like uh, I, I, <laughs> I'm, I'm always entertained. So um, to wrap up the, the hosting part, um, what is something that you could, what advice would you give to somebody who would love to be a host on TV or at an event? Okay. Um, so my advice is start from the bottom. Know how the industry works and know everything about it. For example, when I started working for TV, I was, of course, I got lucky that I was able to host from the beginning, but I also had to do segments for TV where I was out with the camera team in the cold, in the hot, in the water, in somewhere, and I was doing everything. I was carrying the camera, I was carrying uh, tripods. I learned everything. I learned about light, I learned about camera, I learned about how to write a text, um, how to put a segment together. Know all those little parts and don't be shy to learn them. Be the person who is always eager to work and then slowly work your, your way up. That's my advice. Beautiful, very beautiful. I want to take a few minutes also to talk about you, well, your newest, it's not so new anymore, but your newest endeavor in, in, in a way. Uh, since 2017, you, or in 2017, you launched your first, your own fashion label. You already told us that when you were watching Hollywood movies as a kid and you were always fascinated by dresses and so on. But how did you then actually get the idea to create your own fashion label? And, and yeah, how is it going? Um, well, uh, I was uh, working together with another brand and I was kind of promoting their fashion um, and yeah, being the face of the brand. And then I realized how much effort I put into this work actually and how much I did. And I started thinking, well, if I put that much effort into someone else's brand, why don't I create my own brand? So I started to work on that to have an own, bra uh, uh, an own brand. Um, I have my own fashion line. I always do one collection a year, which isn't as much as other designers do, uh, but I always get inspired for one idea. I work on this idea for a year beforehand, and then I present it. And I'm very lucky that it worked out. Like in Vienna, one of the biggest um, shopping houses, or how do you call department it? Department stores. Department stores uh, is, is selling my fashion, and rest I'm selling online and people started liking my fashion and my style and they love to wear it so that makes me very happy and I'm launching my my newest collection by the end of May. Wow very beautiful um, f first of all for everybody that has not yet seen your style how would you describe your style of fashion and where do you draw your inspiration from? Uh, I, I started uh, with fashion that is very 
much um, inspired by other decades, uh, mostly from the 50s, the 40s, but even the 20s and 30s. And it's always a very female fashion, which uh, enhances the female attributes we have. Uh, I would call it very elegant, but sexy and always combined with a good topic. Now the style has changed a little bit more to the modern side of fashion, but it still keeps those elements from the 40s and 50s, or now even from the 70s with the upcoming collection. Wow, but it's all for women, right? It's all for women. I'm sorry, Ronnie. Yeah, if you ever make something for men, and, and I know that your, your stuff is always very elegant, and you, you create something that I could wear in a ring, for example, I would... I would wear it. Well, I'll, I'll work on that. <laughs> <laughs> How do you stay yourself in shape? Uh, well, we share a, a passion. Uh, we share a passion of boxing. I also box. Uh, I started boxing, I think, uh, three years ago, and I love it. And I, after Dancing with the Stars, I never stopped dancing. I kept on dancing, and I'm joining pro M dance competitions now with my dance partner. So I do dancing, I do boxing, I go um, and work out in the gym once a week. I just ran a marathon last weekend. Well, really? not a full one. No, no, no. It was a, a relay, a staffel relay. Yeah. Uh, but it was, it was very exhausting. And I couldn't believe those people who actually ran the whole marathon. Did you? Twice, yes. Oh, my God. Well, we need to talk about that. Oh, no, tell me now, how do you, like people say that between a half marathon and a marathon is a whole marathon. So how do you keep yourself going after 20 kilometers? Well, actually the first thing uh, is your mindset. It's really yeah. about how you approach it. And mm -hmm. uh, I ran it in Vienna where I was really good prepared in 2001. And mm -hmm. that means like, I was already in good shape and then really four months prior to the marathon, I was really training specifically for the longer distance. Mm -hmm. And then I had another experience around the marathon in New York. And I can mm -hmm. just recommend to everybody, whoever wants, like if you ever want to run a marathon and you ever get the opportunity, run the New York City Marathon. It is incredible. There are two million people on the streets who are cheering you on. It's a, it's a huge party. It's amazing. And at that one, I was not as well prepared as I wanted because I got injured three months prior, but I had yeah. this dream. And the last three months before the marathon, I could only run more than one hour once. So I was mm -hmm. every week at the orthopedic trying to get fit three and a half weeks before the marathon. It tells me, you know, the best thing would be if you just do nothing before the next four to six weeks, then you're great. I said, well, that's awesome. Just the marathon is in three and a half weeks. So I didn't do anything until the start of the marathon. It was the first time I was wearing again my shoes. And I, th I thought at that moment, I need to forget everything that I know about a marathon because otherwise I shouldn't be here. So I need to completely change my mindset and just take every step as it goes and, and build my momentum up. And, and basically one quarter into the marathon, I had, um, I had stiff muscles in my, in my legs or hard muscles. Then a third into the marathon, I, the, the pain started. And at the half marathon point, because at the beginning, I didn't know how far I could go. At the half marathon point, I said, I decided consciously, 
I'm going to finish this today. And, and so I was basically, because I knew as long as I keep moving forward, I will eventually get there. And so I was just, that was a, like kept on playing like a mantra, like a broken record that was going on and on and on. And at the end, I had fever attacks. I was crying because I was so overwhelmed. Uh, on the Fifth Avenue in New York, in Manhattan, it was going 15 blocks uphill at, kilom at, at kilometer 37, which was not, the, the, I was not in the best shape at the time anymore, uh, for sure. But anyway, um, I, I, I was so in a tunnel and after six hours, 14 minutes and 58 seconds, I finally crossed the finishing line in Central Park, Manhattan, because I knew that as long as I keep moving forward, I would eventually get there. Oh my God. That's, that's a great uh, life mantra, I would say. That's, that's incredible. I, I, I can't even imagine how, how dead you must have been because I, I started developing knee pain in the preparation for this last run. And it, it hit me also, I would say in the last third now when I was running and I had so much pain, but I just tried to ignore it. But finishing a whole marathon for me is a, a thing of, yeah, that's greater power to finish it. So congratulations. If you ever want to do it, we can, we can continue this conversation uh, on a different, uh, in, a, in a different setting. And I'm going to give you some more tips around that. <laughs> Good. How do you stay grounded, Silvia? Oh, uh, I, I don't think that uh, there's any reason to not be grounded. Uh, I, I, I don't think that I have this in me to not be grounded. Um, I'm always very humble when it comes to my job and my work and where I stand in life. Um, it's not possible, I think, to do our job on a stage talking to other people if you're not grounded. Because you have to have this ability as a host, as a chameleon, to always be at the same level of the person you're talking at. And I, I, can't, I, can, I can't put myself higher than, than the person who is actually more important than me on that stage. So I think it's impossible to lose this grounding for me and I have a mother <laughs> who would actually put me right down again like there is this saying if you ever think that you have found higher wisdom go and have dinner with your family <laughs> and this says it all because our family can you know our families they can trigger the worst in us and they can put us down right away in one second no matter and I know your mom quite a bit as well. And I also know that she's also your biggest fan and supporter as well, right? She is, yes. And that's... She is. She's very hard on me too. I can imagine. That's also what made you who you are. Um, is there something else that you would still love to do in your life? Because you've already done a lot. Um, there, there are thousands and hundreds of things. And I think that is the nice thing that I'm never... Um, you know, I always keep uh, being interested in everything. And I would love to do this and that. And people always tell me, please focus just on one thing and do one thing and don't focus on too much. And 
I don't think this is true. I think if you have a lot of passion, a lot of interest, you can do a lot of things and you will be good at a lot of things. Of course, there are different mindsets and approaches and so on, and they're all right. But for me personally, I love to do a lot of things. I'm interested in a lot of, in a lot of things, and I hope that I can keep going with learning new things. That's so beautiful. And, and just to be respectful of your time, because I know that you need to, uh, you have your next shooting very soon. Well, the photographer is not here, so <laughs> I'm okay with that. We can we can keep going uh, until okay. three. That's nice. Okay, great. So, um, awesome. Then let me see. What's your in, in general? When you we've already talked a lot about TV and fashion, the whole glamour world by itself. Like, what's your view on that glamour world? Uh, uh, God, once I I realized how how hard it is actually to put together a collection and to actually sell it, um, this makes you very humble. And I think it's the same like with hosts that people always think that the designers are living their best life and they're just surrounded by greatness and wonderful people and luxury and so on. Champagne and grapes all day and somebody... Yeah. But the actual night shifts they're doing before fashion week and the criticism they're getting for art they created uh that must be horrible so i have a lot of respect for for all of those people who work in the industry because i know that it's very challenging do you feel a lot of pressure also from the outside or are you putting more pressure on yourself i think i'm my worst enemy so your worst critic I my worst critic, my worst and best friend at the same time. Um, it's not that I put pressure on myself in the sense of pressure, but I just think that if I do something, I want it to be done very well. And I want it to be done as a service to others. So I would never put something out of which I'm not convinced 100%. Mm. Who is somebody that you admire or look up to and why? Mm. Well, I, I admire a lot of people and a lot of different jobs they're doing. This can be a politician, it can be an actress, it can be a painter, it can be a dancer. Um, I, I can't name a specific person I think who is doing especially great or maybe I will later but I always admire people who are smarter than me and who are even more string stringent with their path where they want to go uh, I always admire that and I always look up to the people who are very hard on themselves but very kind to others i think that's the best way to put it and if i should name one person i really look up to dita fantis really <laughs> queen, the queen burlesque burlesque. Queen. yeah uh, because um because she has done something that seemed uh, impossible and now there are burlesque dancers everywhere in the world, but you have to say that she was the first to make it glamorous and worthy of a wonderful event. 
because basically she's a stripper and she's very proud of being a stripper too, but she has put a next level to it. And she has created this, this new way of looking at a form of art, which we haven't seen before. And I was lucky to meet her a couple of years ago and to interview her in her house in Los Angeles. And I was super afraid to do this because, you know, they say never meet your, your idols. So I actually didn't want to meet her, but wanted to meet her. So then I met her. Why you didn't she, before you tell, like, why, why you didn't? Because I thought, what if I meet her and I don't like her? What if I meet her and she doesn't like me? <laughs> um, so I, I was having a hard time with this because I really, I, I wanted to keep her on this pedestal. You know, pedestal. Uh, and she's still there because she's gorgeous and I really admire her. She's wonderful. She's super smart. She's a good businesswoman. She's kind to people. She's very grounded. Um, she's actually shy. Um, she has a great wisdom and I love, of course, I love the style she represents the, the 40s and the 50s. So we had great fun. Wow. And you know, there is a beautiful lesson in there, what you just shared. It's that whatever you do, and, and when you were saying like, basically she's a stripper and, and, and normally we don't really have a, like in a social context, you don't put strippers very, very high on, on, on up on a social ladder. But what she did is that she actually, she is very proud of what she does and put it to a next level. Like she's owning it. And mm. it's about, it's about how you do it more mm. than what you do. Would you agree? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. I totally, I totally do agree. And I also think that she created with her shows something for a bigger audience because when she travels and she does a show, it's not only her on stage, but different dancers and different kinds of artists. And she's also promoting not only one stereotype of a perfect body a stripper should have, but she's also having strippers or dancers on stage with, with different body types than her. And I think with that, she encourages a lot of women, especially to be proud of their body and to be confident and uh, kudos to her for that. Wow. Are you ever thinking in terms of your legacy, in terms of what you want to leave behind, or are you just doing what you love to do? Or is there also a thought like, this is something that I would like to create for a lasting memory? Yes, definitely. Because um, I think that everything goes away in our world, like the beauty will go and the the money will go and the youth will go away. What stays until the end is what you have created in other people's lives when it comes to feelings. And I hope that when I go one day, a lot of people keep thinking of me fondly and nicely and remember me with a laugh. So that's what I hope. And I, I always said to myself, if I can have one person who says, I got inspired by you. I've made it. And nowadays, a lot of people coming up to me and say, you are inspiring me or what are you doing is inspirational to me. And this makes me super happy and I'm super proud about it. It's beautiful. It's so beautiful to hear that. It's really, um, it's, it's all about creating an impact also in a way. And, and, and also I believe you deserve it because you're, 
also as far as i know you you are also the first one to share with others when you appreciate something about them when you love something about them and so really um kudos to you thank you <laughs> thank you <laughs> yeah um let's talk a little bit more about mindset as some closing thoughts what are some what's the the most important like do you do you like to read books uh, books and what's the most um what's the best book you ever read and why oh uh there there's not a best book i must say there are a lot of good books um i like tim ferris wrote a great book the four hour work uh, well, no no not only that one but he brought out another one where he always sorry what tools of titans no one in between where he's talking he's always asking the 20 same questions to different people mm, okay <laughs> i don't remember it now but yeah this is a book that is very good not this one detective no 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 it's not but i'll read this one is it good um i don't know i haven't read it yet but okay so yeah, I love to listen to audiobooks, but okay, great. So Tim Ferriss, I love Tim Ferriss. Tim Ferriss is a very good book. And uh, I, I actually, I, I read a lot of cookbooks because of my cooking show. And there's one cookbook, which I read, I think, four times because it's so beautiful. Um, it's called uh, Rosenmarmelade, Rose Marmalade. And it's about a Polish doctor who moves to Australia, but then goes back to Poland to find her roots in cooking and her family history. So it's a combination of recipes and her life story. And this was very, very inspiring to me too. Wow. And actually Dita Fintis also wrote a great book, um, which I like to read repetitively. Wow. And by the way, did you know that Tim Ferriss also has a cooking book? Does he? Yeah. The four hour chef. Oh yeah, I read about that. So this is the next one on my list. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. Silvia, when people get inspired or got inspired now and, and or when they want to check check out your art or your your fashion, so to say, where can they find you? Oh, you can find me on Instagram and on Facebook under uh, Silvia Schneider and Silvia Schneider Official. You can uh, look up my show, Silvia Kocht on Facebook and Instagram, or you can just check out my website, which is www.silviaschneider.at. I will link everything down below in the show notes, of course. That's and nice. it's been so great to have you here. One Thank final you. thought that you wouldn't, would like the audience to get out of this. What, one thought? Yeah, one, one, one parting thought that you would like um, the listener or the watcher to take a break from our conversation here today. Tell others that they're doing great. Yeah. Tell your worst enemy that he's awesome. <laughs> Be nice to other people. I think that's the most important thing. I love that. That's such a beautiful, uh, you know, that's beautiful, beautiful. Thank you very much. Thank you, Silvia. So, I'm so happy to have had you here on the show. Uh, have an outstanding time. Lots of success to you and looking forward to seeing you Thank again you. soon. See you soon, Ronnie. Thank you so much. Bye. 
Thank you for sticking with us until the end. To make this content even more valuable for you, please leave a comment below and share your thoughts and also share this video with somebody you care about who absolutely needs to see this. Thank you very much. Have an outstanding day and see you next time.